All right, we got a cool talk this morning I'm excited for, so hope you're ready. You look ready. You guys look happy this morning. It's a good day. It's a, yeah, joyful, little, little crew. Well, well done. Well done. Um, say this word, sunrise. sunrise. All right, we're going to come back to that word many times today, sunrise. That'll be our key word for the day. But let's get started. All right, the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 3 is going to be where we're talking from. I want to read you the next slide. It says, there is beauty. Oh, that's small for you guys. Eye test. There is beauty in the eyes of those who behold his face. So I was praying about what to talk about today, and this was the line I got. It's not a scripture. It's just a thought. I'm going to read it again. There is beauty in the eyes of those who behold his face. So we're going to come back to this, this theme but I want to correlate sunrise with seeing the face of God. I want you to consider the idea that, that Scripture points us to his face and his countenance. We're going to look at those passages. And it's something that is, is both symbolic but real. There's a natural reality to what Scripture invites us into, but then there's also a symbolic kind of promise of what it invites us into. So I want to introduce you to both. Let's go to the next slide. It says, the priestly or ironic blessing. This is a, this is a passage that I'm sure many of you have heard. This is, it's, it's famous. It's used throughout Christendom, Catholicism. I grew up in a, uh, I went to a Catholic school, and I remember having Mass, and every time Mass ended, they would, they would recite this prayer of blessing. And so it's, it's been so prevalent that it's kind of known as the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing. Aaronic is Aaronic priesthood, so this were, these were the instructions Moses gave to the priests about how God wanted them to bless the people of Israel. So if you think about that for a minute, God had designed this priesthood with all the sacrifices and their daily obligations of how they were to sacrifice the Lord. And then he had this specific little passage, and he says, Moses, tell the priests, this is what I want them to tell the people after they do their sacrifice. All right, so that's, that's the context. Number 622. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, so Aaron's sons, Aaronic priesthood, there you go, thus you shall bless the Israelites. So this is how you're supposed to bless the Israelites. You'll say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall be put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. How many of you have heard that before? Is that like you've heard that, that line probably specifically used in that way? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. It sounds good. I want to slow it down and go, okay, if God was giving instructions to the priesthood after someone successfully came into the church. So think of the context when you would have heard this from a priest. You had been living normal life like a good Israelite. You look like good Israelites, maybe, maybe above average to good. Everything's going fine, and then you made a mistake. You actually violated a law, which was unbelievably common because the laws were so detailed and so vast. You guys have read the Old Testament, I'm sure, in detail. You've read every one of those laws to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to skip 
a couple sections here because this is just intense. I don't know why we can't eat these shellfish, and I don't know why we have to get up at a certain time and not get up at a certain time. It's like so, so, so detailed. And you go, God gave them this unbelievably, almost, well, impossible list of things that they were supposed to observe. It's almost like he was setting them up to fail, and we find out later it's true. He was giving them a set of laws that were impossible to follow, but it, what it did was highlight their inability to follow him in perfection. And so every single person at some point in their journey with God would have been in a spot where they realized, uh-oh, I have to make a sacrifice because I just violated a law. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. I made a mistake. I violated this covenant that I've made with God. And so now, thankfully, he's given me a prescription to make it right. So what do I do? Well, there was a whole list of those things. You could have sacrificed a pigeon. You could have sacrificed a cow. You could have brought wheat. You could have, there was a variety of ways to make up for having done something wrong. And so you've gone through this process. You, you had this moment, maybe by yourself, maybe not, maybe in the, in the presence of others where you go, oh, I, I am now unclean. That was the language. Like, and what that meant was me and God were in good standing. We're really close together. I'm doing everything right. I'm able to touch him and he's able to touch me. I'm pure, I'm holy. And then I violated the covenant and therefore I can't make contact with him anymore. There's, there's a breach. Now maybe it feels like a huge breach because it was a really great failure or maybe it's something small, but either way, at that moment, at that point, I'm out of contact. But God has said, okay, come now, back to me, do the sacrifice and then we will be in right standing again. That's the prescription I've given you. So God had this in mind when he made this covenant with Israel. He knew that there was going to be this series, this cycle of, of relational violations and then fixes. And, and you as a human have this moment where I've now done the thing I was supposed to do to fix the failure. What is my reward? Well, this is the reward. We're going to read it one more time. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is how you should bless them. You should say, the Lord now blesses you and the Lord keep you. So basically God is now saying, I am shining my favor on you again. I'm going to do, remember last week we talked about blessing and cursing, how it's like spiritual work on our behalf. This is the priest telling you, God is blessing you again. And he's actually going to keep you now. That's, that's his will for you. God is telling them, this is my desire for you. I'm going to keep you here. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. These, those two verses, this is where I want to shift our focus today. We get the idea of law, break, law, correct, like sacrificial correction. This idea of his face shining on us, his countenance being lifted up towards us. This is an area where all of us have a huge mountain to climb. To understand the depth of what this means, the implications 
of God looking upon us with an uplifted face. It's interesting that God introduces this concept to Israel in the context of their series of violations and fixes. You make a mistake, and then God introduces the idea of how to fix it, and once you fix it, he's going to tell you that he actually has the ability to look on you with a face of joy. You would think that it would be a paragraph in the Bible that said, for those who do not violate the law, for those who never need to make a sacrifice, for those who are pure like a newborn baby and never have a problem, those are the ones I have joy over. But this is where God comes to Israel and he says, I actually have an ability to see you with joy even though you've just made a huge mistake. You've violated our agreement. You've come into a place where we can't connect. Foundational concept, fundamental concept. I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures and then we're going to come back to it. But I want you to think of this idea. I violate our relationship. I'm a human being. Whatever age you were when you did it to your parents for the first time and you remembered it, whether you stole something from them, like one of our kids did this week, really cool, or you, you hit them, or you ran, told them you were going to run away, or maybe you did run away, or you yelled at your mom and said she's terrible, or you did something with your dad that you knew was not good. There was some violation there, or maybe it was with a relationship that you have, like as an adult or as a friend, where you just, you did something that you look back on and you go, I broke that trust, that bond in that moment. You are designed in a way where there's a lingering, lasting effect that, that comes with those exchanges. Like it's natural, normal for us. God has, has designed us in a way where he understands that, that depth of intensity, that depth of impact, and he, he's really interested that you understand who he is and how he feels about it. All right. So he says, in all instances, after someone makes a sacrifice, you bless them, and you pray this prayer. You say, the Lord will bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This last line, so they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. That's a little funny, that sentence, but what it's saying is this is the way the priests will identify individuals as mine. It's actually in the cycle of failure and, and reconciliation that God stamps people with a stamp of validation. It's not in perfect creation. It's in identification of failure and reconciliation that God blesses and identifies people with his countenance and his name. It's deep, we'll come back to it. All right, next slide. In Psalm 67, you see the same theme. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, how many knows what Selah means? That means pause and think about it. Slow down, stop, and think. It's such a deep thought. That was like the psalmist's way of saying, okay, what I just said is worth meditation on. He says, so may God be gracious to us, bless us, and make his face 
to shine upon us. Look at the second verse, that your way may be known upon the earth, your saving power among all nations. All right, we're going to keep going. All right, we're going to, all right, let me introduce this. Okay. Okay, guys, this is a big topic today, and it's, it's really, really important. It's probably one of the most important things I'll ever talk to you about because it's a topic that defines most of our lives for the entirety of our lives if we don't get it right. It's not unique to individuals. It's not like some people struggle with this and others don't. It's a universal human condition. It's the condition of separation from God and the immediate connection between that experience and this thing called shame. So you guys have ever heard the word shame before? All of you have had an engagement with shame. The law um, that I just described where I did some violation of this core thing that God had identified, it created a gap between me and God and I knew immediately I had to fix it. That tension of having to reconcile a relationship with an individual, let alone God, is something that creates this crazy intensity around us, inside of us, and, and clouds or challenges our clarity on how to live and act until that reconciliation is made. It is a normal human process. God understood it completely, and we see it walked through in the very first chapters of the Bible. So the creation story, we get this beautiful story of God creating everything, and immediately we get introduced to the universal human condition of separation from God and shame. It is story number one once you get past the reality that he is the creator of everything. You go, why, why, why would God lead with that? Doesn't it seem like there's a lot of good things to meditate on? Couldn't he spend a few chapters talking about whales and the beauty of ocean life? He could have picked birds. He could have talked about volcanoes. He could have talked about the process of creating humanity and how he went about it. He gave us a few sentences. He goes into this really beautiful story that we all heard from the time we were young about Adam and Eve. And it's so deep and so rich it's so profound that it's stuck for thousands and thousands of years for humanity as we've looked to it and saw something in it that we know is true of us. It's an experience we see in them that is completely relevant, not in an abstract way, in a real tangible way, to my own walk in life with God. We all wish it weren't so, 100%. 100%. I wish there were one of you in here that had no opportunity to point to any instance in your life where there was legitimate separation between you and God. <clears throat> I wish it were the case. I wish it were the case that in my own life I could point to a season where there was no legitimate reason for there to be separation between me and God. But the challenge of being human, not just today but for thousands of years, is that the reality is there's always legitimate reason for us to be separated from God. He is so other, so beautiful, so pure, so good. When we as humans came into earth and we were created really well, 
we were immediately given this opportunity to love and choose his goodness, bigness, grandeur, as the right and ultimate in all things. Unfortunately, we didn't. And we all know the story. And it's really strange as a person to point back a couple thousand years and go, well, it's, I'm this way because of Eve plus Adam. I'm this way because of people I've never met. I'm this way because of those that I, I might be related to in this kind of long genealogy. It's hard for us to understand the logic of it, but there's something fundamental in us that just knows that there's distance between us and God, and we also just know that there's these core principles of, of nature and existence that, when violated, feel like they're out of order, like they disqualify us from being in harmony with, with nature and then probably the God who created nature. So pull yourself outside of the Christian lingo and, and normal kind of Christian thought you have no exposure to Jesus, you have no exposure to theology, any of these things, you still find yourself in a world where you see beauty and you see pain and you know that something really big is responsible for this because it's way too complicated for it all to have just happened by chance. And you know that somehow you as a human are almost obligated to be good to other humans and care for and, and work with. And some would even go further and say, you're also kind of obligated to, to care for and engage with nature and preserve it and, and value it because it's so beautiful, important, holy almost. It's a word that's not just unique to God. It's kind of, it's, it's present in all that God has created as well as himself. It's like there's beauty in this life, and I just know it. I may not understand Jesus fully. I may not understand the path to, to righteousness completely, but I understand as a human I can look at nature and go, there's a God, and I know there's some things I could do that would just violate the core principles of what he is. And I look at this story that comes a little later about Cain and Abel, and I, and, I, and I see that there's this, like, violation there that's really dramatic in contrast to this beautiful story of creation. And you go, okay, that's just wrong. I know that's wrong. But God, in his wisdom, he, he knew that the best version of life for all of us is the life where we get to choose from a place of complete freedom whether to honor his holiness or not. Because if it weren't up to us, if it was just built into us and we had to honor him and his holiness, there would be no choice, there would be no love. And so he's made us in a way where we, we can choose to violate or we can choose to agree. And all of us have chosen to violate at one point or another. Some have violated in more egregious ways, some have violated in less, but there's these, these moments in our life that come up all too often where we realize I'm not who I want to be. I've said or I've thought or I've acted in a way that I know God couldn't be pleased with. And so I find myself in need, in need in here, maybe not need out here, but in here of being restored, reconciled, brought back into a place of just harmony with him. 
Now, we may not articulate it that way, but we feel it. We carry it around. And if you think about a life that's lived with a series of violations, maybe not violations directly pointed at God, but maybe it's a violation at, at this person. And then a couple of years later, there's a violation towards this person. And, and there's a pattern that evolves where, where I, I am not acting as Jesus would now that I know who he is. I'm not acting as God would as I try to understand who he is, but I'm acting as someone who's constantly evolving in a way that's always just a little disharmonious with him. It sets a pattern in motion. And while my heart's intent may be good, unless I'm truly reconciled and brought back into relationship, back into a place of clarity, cleanness, purity, I start to have a legacy of doing life and living life with separation from him. That separation is the thing that defines so many people today. Not knowingly, not willingly. Maybe there's an acknowledgement that there's a God there. But there's something between that God and man that comes to define them in such a way that they live one generation, two generations, three generations. And the distance, it's almost like it just naturally increases as reconciliation doesn't come back. And so you say, well, how, how do we get to a point where that's possible? You would look one generation after the next. You go 400 years, 500 years with people understanding that I violated this covenant relationship I had with God. And that distance I never corrected, I never brought back into order. And therefore, I am at a place where I don't even know how he feels about me. I don't know how he could look at me with joy because I've never even known him. I've never even felt him. But I've lived in a way that just keeps compensating and keeps violating almost naturally. And so God understood when he created all of us that this is how it was going to go. He didn't think that there would be certain ones that would just get it perfect and get it right. He knew from the beginning of time no one would. And so he set up a structure in a way for us to be reconciled, brought back into relationship with him. And at the core of his desire towards humanity is a desire for the relationship to be fully restored. That is all this is fundamentally about, is that we as his creation and children would turn to him and accept his love and reconciliation back, and that true love that can exist between two people could exist between us and God. And so we see it early in the Israelites' story. Early in the story, there's gross violation, violation to the point where he allows them to be enslaved. They go off to Egypt basically as punishment for generation after generation after generation dismissing their distance from God and embracing more and more things that justify their distance to the point where they don't even acknowledge him anymore. And so he sends them off to slavery, and then he goes with Moses to reconcile them and bring them back. It's, there's been enough time. And so here we have Moses saying, okay, guys, God, for the first time, is bringing us back to him in hundreds of years. He's bringing us back. He's restoring us physically. 
and he's giving us laws to spiritually address what's also gone on. We didn't just physically go to slavery, distant from God, distant from blessing. We emotionally, mentally, physically, everything about us has been separated, but he's giving us a road back. Okay, all right, there's my, there's, there's, there's that. Now, I want you guys just to think practically with me for a minute. You have the best boyfriend or girlfriend you've ever imagined, best husband or wife you've ever imagined, you guys are doing great, everything's awesome, and you just do something absolutely terrible, like completely terrible, to the point where you know that they are justified in ending a relationship with you. You know it, you messed up. You did something to where it's like, this is over. This is the condition we are in naturally before we have an encounter with God. There's justification for there to be a breach and a break forever. And so here's my question to you. When you are asked, what does God think about you? Who does God say that you are? How do you feel when I talk about Father God and his watching your life? Most of you, most of you have, have been painted, clothed, designed, redesigned, um, reimagined almost with those violations in mind. You, you have completely come to understand your relationship with God in light of that breach, that failure. It's a hard reality. It's a really strange reality because so much of us are unconsciously acting in a way that justifies distance. When the Bible tells us there should be no distance whatsoever. And so here's where I want to go with this with you guys today. I want you to think with me for a minute about the role of shame and sin in your life. I want you to understand the history that not just you but every human has where violation and distance between you and God is core, it's fundamental, it's not unique, it's for all of us. That story is our story. And now I want you to put that story on one like, place on the table. On the other place, you say, how do I think of shame and how do I wrestle with God's ideas about me in light of that distance and separation issue that I have? All of us have it. Paints all of us to different degrees, and, and the biggest challenge we have isn't the idea that God died for us. It's the idea that when Jesus died for us, he actually washed all of the justification for separation away. That pile of things on the table where you go, that was one reason why I failed God. That was another reason why I failed God. That was another reason why I failed God. Or there's a good reason why he's not pleased with me. Or here's evidence that things aren't going the way that they would if I were blessed and favored of God. Here's another story that tells you, you know, this, things aren't quite where they could be. When Jesus is invited into the conversation and his death and what he did on the cross is invited into that space, the table's wiped completely clean. There's nothing on it anymore. And so anything that remains on the table that, that shame 
that topic shame is connected to actually doesn't belong there. It's not supposed to be there. And, and where I want you guys to, to try in your minds to go with me is a place where you realize God's face is shining on me with great joy. His countenance is bright, glowing, and joyful whenever he looks at me. That's how he thinks of me. That's what he likes about me, is that I evoke joy in his life every time we look at one another. But the problem that we have, and I, I just, I want to, I'm overemphasizing this. I'm spending a lot of time on it. It's not a, like a hyper-technical, theological thing. It's reality. It's like, I feel bad. He can't be super happy about me. There's reasons. There's a lot of reasons. I feel a certain way. I don't act a certain way. There's all these, these things. And what it does is it creates an inability for us to interact with God. And God is really, really interested in this other version that we read about on the last slide where it's his face is looking at us with joy, his countenance is lifted, and his blessing is on us. And so if that's God's desire towards us, what is going on in our minds and our hearts that justifies anything else? That's the question. All right, let's look at a couple more things really quick. I'm gonna speed through this. This is context for the Adam and Eve story. You guys know it. Eve was really bad. Adam, poor guy, followed along, right? That's how you guys read it? Yeah, okay, that's how I read it too. All right, let's go to the next slide. <laughs> All right, so they, they did the thing, they ate the apple. We forgive them both. All right, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I want to spend just a few minutes looking at this story that you all know super well. We're gonna just look at the underlined items and we're gonna talk just for a minute about this sequence of events. And what I want you to leave today with is an understanding of Jesus's heart, God's heart and posture towards us just like it was towards them. You see, I've read this passage my whole life and I've read this passage and the tone that Jesus used when he interact with them, interacted with them, was really stern as I read these passages. It was, a, it was a tone of disappointment, failure, and grief. Sadness, shame almost being put on them is the way I've read this for decades. But I want to challenge you guys this morning. Read this from a perspective that Jesus really loves them. He cares about them like a father would care about his kids. God never puts shame on people. And so I would caution you to read this with a different lens, maybe with an eye of a father who's working to help them through a situation, not one who's coming to destroy and further bury them in pain. All right, so they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden 
at the time of the evening breeze. Okay, first of all, let's do some obvious stuff here. Heard the sound of him walking in the garden. They knew it was him walking in the garden. How did they know? Because they're so familiar with it. It points to a pattern of interaction between Adam and Eve and God where he would come and they knew what it sounded like when he came. You ever had someone come to your house and when they come through the door, you're like, oh, here they are. We have one of those, Katie. She comes to our house frequently. Holy smokes. She walks through the door. I'm like, oh, Katie's here. Because it's like, hello, everyone. Like, she can't help herself. Her, her voice is like 10, uh, 10 times louder than a normal human being. And, it's, and our house is like full of noise. And she comes in and she's like 10 times louder. I'm like, Katie, stop. It's 8 a.m. Please turn it down. She's like, okay, Vince, I'll turn it down. I'm like, okay, that's down. Okay, good job. Like, someone comes to your house over and over, and Katie, I love you, you're not in the room, but this is, I'm smiling while I'm saying all of this. Um, someone comes over, and you're used to them coming over, you know when they're there. They have a certain way of interacting with you. They're, you're familiar to the point where it's like, hey, I think they're here. I think they're here. Adam and Eve had, had this with Jesus, with God. He'd come and literally spend time with them in the place he'd created for them. And this kind of, in the evening breeze, this, the idea is, this is like sunset. This is towards the end of the day, and they've spent the day there, and he comes and, and visits with them. It's a relationship that's been going on for a long time. I think we read Genesis, and we're like, God created these things seven days. He makes humans, and then the next day, the humans screw up, and it's over. And now this bad part begins, and that's what the rest of the Bible is. It's the bad part getting better. They were there for a long, they didn't mess up on day one. They had a relationship with them. They spent, who knows how long, definitely years, to the point where if he's walking around in the garden, they know how he whistles, they know what he says to the animals, they know, they know what the experience is like, and they obviously, normally, look forward to it. It's a familiar relationship, a familiar face. And the man and his wife, Instead of doing what they normally do, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I just I underline that because that's, that, that phrase is such an interesting thing. I, I think that we are so often aware of the fact that God's presence isn't around. If you were to ask someone who's been walking with the Lord a long time, is like, God's speaking to you, and, and, and the answer is typically... Well, he, he, not as much now as he was, but he, things are good. He talks to me frequently, but it seems like a little quiet spell, or you know, how's his voice? Like, how, are you, is his presence in your home? Well, yeah, yeah, when I want certain times, certain places, it's like, it's like, it's almost like, yeah, he's around kind of, and I'm not sure when he's there or why he's there. There's this interesting thing here that if I were to ask you, have you ever hidden and intentionally avoided God? I think you would probably say maybe once or twice, but generally no. The once or twice was like egregious sin day. Oh, this was a bad day. I did it this day. That, we all knew, and I wasn't smiling. I felt terrible, and I just didn't want anything to do with it for that, that day, that month, that season. But for the most part, if you look at our lives overall, the whole story, you go, no, 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 I've, I've, I've pretty consistently tried to invite his presence or tried to engage. We've all done the thing where we've stiffed arm God and chose to do bad things. But that's not what we're talking about here. 
This is, this is a scenario where they knew he was coming, they hear him, and there's a completely different attitude, a completely different posture. And it's really, really telling because it's all of us more often than I'd like to admit. So it says they, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And the man says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Um, a couple things I want to point out, just as kind of side notes. The among the trees thing, I think is really interesting. I think that God has created this unbelievable life for us. It's, it's rich. There's so much to do. There's so much to explore, so much to engage with. It's pure and good. The trees of the garden were the, the activities that God had designed for Adam to spend his life with. It was the place of feeding. That's where they got their fruit. So you think of it like the work, like the, the engagement that brings food and, and nourishment into a family. You guys know how diverse our resources are that we have to engage with to bring food into our lives. I think for years, Adam and Eve lived in a place where they were fully engaged in this beautiful garden of life. And it's really interesting that they were able to hide in that place of creation. I think it's interesting that we, in our journey with the Lord, have the opportunity when we fail to hide in the activities and occupations of life to the point where we almost can disappear completely from God in his presence because we're so heavily engaged because at the core of us, we know there's separation there that we're trying to uncover, trying to kind of avoid. There's nothing that makes you feel worse than coming face to face with the person that you've, you've betrayed or violated. It's much, much easier to avoid them by busying ourselves. And so I challenge you guys, as we think about shame, as we think about maybe making mistakes in life, I challenge you to consider your posture of activity. Consider your engagements, what you do with your time and your mind that either A, allow you to recover the presence of God and work towards him, or B, continue to hide out, maybe justifying that hideout because you're doing the things that God created you to do. It's very possible to be very busy with a life God designed and not have any of God actually in it with you. And so Adam and Eve, they have this moment where they eat of the tree, they violate the one command he gives them, and then he comes looking and he says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Let's look at the next slide. And this is the one I want to read with a different tone today. It says, he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? There's no exclamation points. There's question marks. There's no, oh my goodness, what have you done? There's, who, who told you that? Who, edu who, who let you know that nakedness was a thing to be concerned with? 
he's aware that, that they have now stepped into a place of a completely new orientation. It's not just that we're children living in this beautiful, protected environment. It's that we're almost adults now that are aware that there's an opportunity not to be in the environment. It's like I can live a life where I walk with the Lord in perfect harmony up until the point where I realize I can make choices to to actually move outside of that harmony. And we're in a position where we have to decide that week, that day, that moment, do I want to come back in? See, it wasn't that the fruit was so bad. It was, that it was the idea of violating the relationship was a big, big deal. It was violating the trust. It was violating the purity of who they were together. And so what Jesus does is he, he asks these questions and he's basically saying, how did, how did you get here? And if you look at the sequence of what comes after this, he goes through and he lists all the effects of what just happened. We're not going to go through those, but he basically says, okay, now, now that you've done this, i got to explain what's about to come. There's a curse that comes from stepping outside of the blessing. And I, that word is really harsh, and we understand that it's like, it feels like there's violence behind it. But, but God had already identified, I have a blessing for you, and it's this. And so now you're under the influence, remember, blessing and curse, you're in the, under the influence of this other form, this other side that's outside of my blessing. Let's go to the last slide. And if you fast forward through that list of, here's the hard things that are going to happen. One of them is childbirth, which you survived back there. Congratulations. And they say it's going to be kind of rough. I've even read that and said, gosh, that's so mean. Like, God cursed. But if you think about it, it's very survivable. It's not, it, yes, it's hard to give birth to a child, I think, I've heard. <laughs> but, but it, in the world of curses, it's not the worst thing that he could have done. And then for the men, he's like, you're going to have to work hard on, in the ground, and, and you're going to get your food out of your work in the ground. I don't know about you, but I've read that series for years and said, God's judgment seems harsh. He seems like he's angry with them and coming after them. But I think about it for a minute. The result of them having chosen out of the garden is that it's harder to have children and that there has to be work now for the, for the ground to yield what this area had already been yielding. And so it's like God said, okay, if you want to be outside, I'm going to push you outside, and you're going to now turn that area into the good, fruitful place that you were already in. You're going to use this hardship, this challenge, to go reconcile and restore all of this other land. And I'm basically introducing you to a life and a model where you have the authority to do it, live there successfully. And this is how you're going to understand it. It says, the Lord made garments of skins for the man and for the wife, and he clothed them. Do you remember after they, they, did the, they made the mistake, they sewed fig leaves together? Jesus, well, God here comes in, and he, he gives them a, a superior covering. 
And he does it in a foreshadowing way because he was foreshadowing the sacrifice of the lamb that Jesus would be. You guys remember that scripture from last week? John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That's what we're looking at right here in Genesis. He's like, Jesus goes and he kills a lamb and he puts skins on them versus leaves. So he's foreshadowing that this is a temporary coverage, but there's an ultimate coverage coming. That's kind of a cool Bible connection. God was not willing to let that separation continue. He remedied it the day it happened. He went into the garden himself, approaching them, finding them, saying, There's, you, you are in a bad place. I'm coming to you to reconcile this. And I'm going to be with you. It's going to be harder now that you understand and now that you've gone through a, a, a moment of separation, but I'm gonna show you that I will never allow you to be fully separated from me. We have to read the Bible with with the lens that God is for us, not against us. You could read this story and say, God cursed humanity forever, or you can say, God gave humanity a path of reconciliation the moment there was a problem, like the second there was a problem, He walks in, he finds them hiding, and says, I'm going to repair this. I'm actually going to improve your coverage. You've covered yourself up to, to clothe the shame of your nakedness. I'm going to give you a superior cover to the point where you don't have to ever worry about that again. You're covered now. And so here's, here's my challenge with this, guys. Um, I wish this story weren't relevant to us. I really do, like, sincere, like sincerely. <laughs> like it's really an awful, awful thing. It's awful to make mistakes. It's awful to make bad choices and then try to figure out how to get it off your back, out of your mind, out of your vision. But I, I, I'm encouraged, kinda, by the fact This is the core story of humanity. It's not a additional kind of aspect to being human with God. It is the core idea of the Bible. It's the fundamental idea. It's the only one that truthfully matters. You could skip all the other stuff. You could kind of set worship aside. You could set aside healing. You could set aside Ecclesia Church. If you just got this idea, You have actually engaged with and come to an understanding of the main thing that Jesus came for. It's actually the main part of the human story in totality. And so as I talk about it, I I watch you guys, it's like, okay, this is kind of, it feels a little abstract almost, but it's, it's really not. Each of you are dealing with different levels of shame in your life today. How do I know that? I know that because you don't hear from God as often as you would like. You don't have joy at all times. You don't have peace at all times. You don't have absolute 100% trust at all times. There's something that gets in the way between your pure kind of arm-in-arm connection with Jesus that doesn't allow you to walk like, you know, the singing in the rain thing, like you are just alive, joyful, free, because I've got him and he's got me. That was like a poem. That was great. 
we, that, like, that reality hasn't taken you over completely. Maybe it's taken you over partially, but not completely. You say, well, no, I, I understand this. It's an exercise, like it's academic. Did, he die, did Jesus die for me? Did I accept him? Yes, I'm covered, I'm cleansed. Well, then why aren't you happy? Why aren't you like laughing free? Why aren't you being led by Jesus into every aspect of life with total abandon and total freedom? What is blocking you from just going everywhere with him, doing everything with absolute surety that you're with him? There's, there's a gap. There's not just maybe a gap, there's a series of, of blockages between you and him. And, and here's, the, here's the real interesting part. A lot of it's inherited. A lot of it started like 2,000, 4,000, however many thousand years ago with your great, great ancestors. And they handed that distance off one generation after the next. Now, some would come into it like, a good place of understanding that, oh wait, he loves me and I'm following him. But we watch it in the history of, of the Bible over and over. It's like the Israelites, they do a great job of following and then they, they kind of don't. And when they don't, they're, it's, it's like they forget who God was. It's like they don't understand that he's even in the room. And so this is where I, I wanna challenge us as, as people the fundamentals of our story. We, we needed Jesus to reconcile us, that's the fundamental. Sin, failure, brokenness. I'm not interested in pointing out your sins, failures, and brokenness. That's, that's, there's no need for that. There's no need for you to rehearse your failings, your challenges, et cetera. There's a need, though, to, to challenge your freedom, your joy, your peace. Are they in full measure or is there likely aspects of shame that are still clouding my trust in this relationship? Am I, am I in love with him? Do I hear from him? You go, I, he doesn't really talk to me much. I think the very first thing is you have to be out from behind the tree. You have to not be busy with concerns of life and maybe even fears about rejection and, and your failures, your acceptance and his purpose for you, you have to be completely free of that to get to a point where you can communicate eye to eye. You see, when, when Moses gave these instructions, he gave instructions that said, God's intention is to bless you, so change your whole life because he's gonna supernaturally surround you and touch everything you do. He's gonna keep you there and he's gonna make his face shine on you. There's going to be joy. He's gonna look on you with light and joy and life. You are gonna feel his countenance be lifted when he sees your face. And so I want you with me to understand that is true today. It's absolutely true today. When he thinks of you, he does not think of failure. When he thinks of you, he does not think of, of the color of the thing that he clothed you with. He's not concerned about are you covered or are you uncovered? Are you vulnerable or are you not vulnerable? Like, are you pure or are you not pure? He doesn't see you that way at all. He sees you from a place of, wow, that's mine. 
I have paid the price. Like, that's completely my, I don't think he even does like a filtration exercise. I think in my mind, I'm always like, okay, Jesus, we can talk because of the cross, because you died for me, because my sin is on the cross, right, right, right? Yep, that one, that one, that one. I don't think he's asking me to list those things off so we can talk. I don't think he sits there and looks at you and goes, well, you're good because Jesus did this, 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 and this. I think it's, it's true completely, you're completely reborn, completely new. And the only one in the relationship that is holding up failures is you. It's really true. The only one in the relationship that would ever say, he's justified in not talking to me, that's you. The only one that would say, uh, he's waiting for me to get it right so he can come in in the ways I've dreamt of, that's you. He's a dad that loves his kids. He's already done all the work so that you can just be here arm in arm. Garden life restored. Sun, rise. It is risen. His light is shining on you. The question I have for you is, are you hiding behind trees? Are you covering yourself? Or are you understanding the work that God did for you? To where you're not in any way supposed to be distant from him. There's not one category of your life where he stands in judgment today. Now there's obviously growth that can happen for all of us. There's obviously perfection of our execution of a good life. But there's never separation. There's never distance. There's never shame. So when he came to Adam, he didn't say, shame on you, what have you done? He said, Adam, what happened? Who told you? How, how, did, how did this come about? And he said, well, Eve did it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. Eve's the worst. <laughs> no, it, it, it didn't say that. And then Eve said, well, Satan talked, the snake talked me through all this. And then he immediately turns to the snake. And he starts explaining what his judgment would be. We know that's the enemy. And there's a whole, whole bit of conversation on that. But I, I think that the most interesting thing here is is God's approach to Adam and Eve in probably the greatest moment of sin and violation that ever has occurred. If you think about the weight of sins in the history of humanity, I think number one is going to go to the team that was sitting in perfection, walking with Jesus in person every day. God created a place specifically for them, a life specifically for them, and they turned to an earth-dwelling beast, the Bible says. A lot, we, all, we know that's like a symbol for Satan and a created being. He, they, they turned to a created being and they said, well, you're convincing. Maybe your ideas are better than his. I think that was probably the lowest point for all of us. But even for them, God came in and said, okay, I'm going to patch this up. I'm going to make this right and I'm not just going to make it right for you. I'm going to make it right for everybody. And so I want you to understand the tone of Jesus when he sees you is reconciliation. It's fixing. It's pure. There's no, there's no buts and ifs. There's no clauses kind of giving him the out to kind of back away if you fail again. There's only joy and a countenance that's lifted up because of who you are. And I'll tell you this one last thing. So often I think God's actions in our lives are limited or challenged because we don't believe we're worthy 
of him acting on our behalf. Sometimes we're not healed physically because we are just deserving of this weird punishment idea. Sometimes we're not joyful because we feel like we should have a certain level of penance and shame. In fact, people have built theologies around, there's worlds built around like having a hard life because that's what we deserve after all. And I'll tell you, Jesus didn't come to partially set us free. He came to set us free. He came to restore the joy of our salvation. He came to give us life abundantly. And so for each of you guys, I want you to challenge yourself this week as you think about your relationship with God. It's glowing. It's joyful. It's celebratory. And I want you to have that posture when you go to him. There is no rejection here. There is sunrise here. His light is shining. It's bright. And that's what he sees when he sees me. And I'll tell you guys, if you've dreamt of being used of the Lord, you can't do it well until you have that foundation in you. You can go do stuff for God, but if you're not doing it with a sense of he accepts me, he loves me, he's joyful over me, then you're really doing it in a, in a strange way. He wants you to feel that good life, that goodness. He wants you to go with hope that you can give that same joy to others. Um, that's it. That's it. Let me pray for you guys. And I want you, as we do this today, I want you, if you find yourself, um, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight anything in your life where you're still carrying shame. It's this simple. God, I surrender once and for all my right to holding shame in my life. I surrender it once and for all. Like, I am not going to let this topic stick around any longer. I may have made a mistake at one point. I give that mistake to you, and I'm not looking back. I just commit to agreeing with you that I will never look back at that thing, because you're not. And so I refuse to look at it any longer. So Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, by your grace, God, to come and highlight the things that you have completely forgiven, completely eliminated the effect of, and are so excited to shine your light over. God, we thank you for being a merciful God. We thank you for being a joyful God who looks at us with great hope, with great joy, with great peace. And so we invite you to bless us, to shine your face upon us, and for us never, ever to go to a place of shame again. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. All right, guys. I'd love for you guys to just, just stand up with me, and I want you to take this. It does, it, I'm telling you, you can have these topics that create shame in your life follow you literally for your whole life. That's the nature of deception. The deception isn't just getting you into a place of failure. It's keeping you in that place of failure well beyond that moment. And so I, I want you guys with great courage to go with me, go with Adam and Eve, go with Moses, go with every person in the Bible to a place where I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to leave all that shame behind once and for all. And his countenance, of course it's joyful. I'm really made well. He's excited to see me every day. Take that with you this week. And so the key word for you guys is going to be sunrise. Think of that word. When you see it, just remind yourself, he's looking at me with, with that type of brightness, that type of flame is after me, and it's a good, good thing.
All right. Love you guys. God bless you. Goodbye.